Aaron Bernstein is a modern-day Renaissance man, a farmer by morning, state representative by day, and a college professor at night. Still in his first term in office, I caught up with Aaron in Pittsburgh. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs, and I am in the Strip District, uh, downtown Pittsburgh, at the Leaf and Bean, actually the uh, place of the very first episode of Brews and Views back in uh, 2017. And my guest with me uh, is State Representative Aaron Bernstein. Uh, but this is not uh, Aaron's district. Aaron, I, I appreciate Well, We'll talk why we're actually doing it in downtown uh, Pittsburgh, but uh, welcome to Brews and Views. Matt, thanks so much, and looking forward to the opportunity to talk to you. As, as you know, I, uh, I started out with this. You asked me in the very beginning, have you ever heard any of these podcasts? And I said, <laughs> I listened to all of them. So it, it's pretty informative and pretty insightful. Well, funny, uh, funnily, I guess, if that's a word, uh, that you didn't realize we were doing this. We were going to have a podcast. So uh, uh, just springing it on you. And it's great. It's great for the conversation. It, it's great. And appreciate the friendship. And what a great opportunity to sit down and talk. Well, look forward to our conversation because as we were uh, chatting even before we got started, I was learning new things. And that's why I love doing this podcast is learning uh, about the, the person behind the politician. And uh, you have really only been a politician for, I guess, less than two years uh, and running uh, for uh, your seat again. And we'll get into some of the interesting dynamics that have taken place in your reelection uh, effort. But uh, before we do that, talk about uh, Aaron Bernstein uh, growing up and then we'll get to how you ended up in office and your thoughts on that. Yeah, and, and interesting down here today in Pittsburgh, um, and I'll get to this when I sort of talk a little bit about my story, but I actually teach at the University of Pittsburgh just one class, uh, a business leadership course, and then I do some of the sales pieces in it as well. But uh, my background, born and raised in Minerva, Ohio, uh, a little farm town, so you better not, you, you better not blink or you'll miss it <laughs> when you go through. Um, we, my family didn't have a farm growing up, but I don't think one of my friends didn't have a farm or, or didn't have a lot of acreage where there weren't cows and horses and sheep and goats and pigs and everything else around it. And uh, my family and I, we moved to Newcastle, Pennsylvania, where my parents were born and raised. Okay. And we moved whenever I was a freshman in high school. Graduated from Union High School in 2003 feels like it's a long time ago. I realized it was 15 years this year. You're still a young pup. I, I know, but 15 <laughs> years still, you, you start looking and you're like, geez, it's a little longer than you would have thought. Um, and then the other thing is... Well, so, what brought you? What brought your family from Ohio uh, to Pennsylvania? Was it just the family connections? Yeah, uh, family and, connections, and, and I think wanted to get closer to the grandparents. You know, they were getting older at that what, point what'd in time. what did your parents do? Did both of them work? Uh, uh, what, what, was, uh, what were they employed as? Yeah, my, my mom is, she's a dental assistant, so I think she's worked and helped at every dental office in Newcastle. Okay. Uh, I tell her all the time, Mom, you're the most popular woman at all the dental offices. <laughs> And my dad works as a management consultant for a company called Kepner Trigo. Uh, they work on process improvement in organizations, and they're based out of New Jersey. Okay. And so uh, brothers and sisters, uh, are you an only child? Yeah, Matt, they stopped at perfection. <laughs> so, uh, or, or they realized well, they yeah. didn't want to double down and, and make the same mistake well, twice. Yeah, let me guess which one that was. I think uh, it may have been the latter, <laughs> but I'm going to go with the former. <laughs> All right. So you, uh, you grow up uh, as, as the only child. Uh, 
and uh, your parents, uh, both of them working out of the house as you as you grew up, were were they politically involved? I mean, were they paying attention? Did were did they vote? Uh, uh, where where did politics enter into uh, the Bernstein bloodstream, if you will? It, not really politically involved at all. Um, you know, I would tell you that my dad was on the school board when we were in Minerva, but that's about as apolitical as you can get, and really just trying to help some people um, and help kids and make sure they had a good education. And he got involved over there really because uh, the school was a mess at that point, mm-hmm. and they really turned it around, and he was just part of that. Uh, a lot of great people that did some great things, and my best friends are still from Minerva, by the way. Uh, I have a text chain that um, me and several of my friends talk on every day. Uh, scared to death of that ever getting out and some of the things that they say <laughs> and make fun of me about. But, uh, you know, so that's really where, my, that's where I was developed, I think. Not politically involved. Uh, my parents just went to work every day, worked hard, and, and tried to put food on the table for all three of us. Would you say you grew up in a Republican house or a Democrat house, or did you even talk about kind of partisan politics at all? Yeah, talked a little bit about it, yeah. but it was never really, a, you know, it was more about the philosophies and, um, you know, really what it's about being a good person. And that, to me, isn't about Democrat or Republican. It was just about making sure that you're doing the right things every single day. Um, so not it really just wasn't a lot of political talk. Um, I was somebody that was interested in politics whenever I uh, really was in high school and those kinds of things. That's when I really started to get involved and, and watch things. And what really turned me on to it was the original Bush-Gore race. Okay. Um, and that was an interesting one to be your first sure. one that you kind of paid attention to. Is that the first one you voted in or not Not yet? Uh, Matt, I wasn't right. even close. Okay, Matt, okay. I wasn't even close. Yeah, all right. So, yeah, 2003 was right. graduating high school. Right. Got it. Yeah. I wasn't even in the ballpark okay. there. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you that I had a lot of debates with my teachers, uh-huh. um, and, and they were on may have been on one side of it, and, and I was on the other side of it. But uh, great teachers that I had at Union in Newcastle. Um, just really good people that cared about kids and wanted what was best for them and always challenged me Mm. to think outside the box and think differently. So you had lots of discussions about the 2000 uh, election, and uh, that was what uh, piqued your interest? Uh, And and did you say, yeah, I'm a Republican at that time, or how how did that develop? Yeah, it said I'm a a George Bush fan, George W. Bush fan, and I, I liked what the guy stood for. I liked the way that he was bold and straight and to the point. And as you know, that may or may not be my style, some would say. <laughs> and uh, I say that jokingly because it clearly is. And, you know, I think what really helped me, what really spiked my interest was that a lot of people were really passionate about issues. And I think when there's passion, great things happen, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on. When people are passionate about an issue, um, and that was a passionate election. Yeah. And it was a really sure. unique election. Because things were actually going pretty good in the United States at that time, economically and those types of things. And Clinton was very popular. Sure. Um, even though, as you look back, um, you know, he had some issues uh, later, you know, in that presidency. But some understatement, pop- but uh, <laughs> understatement of the year. But a, what, what I found was that if you delivered a message and you let people know you cared about them. And by the way, people see through fraud. Sure. People see when you don't really care. But when, when you let people understand that you care about them and you understand what their needs are and you're going to work hard every single day, that people will buy into that and, and they'll fly your flag. So um, you're paying attention in high school. Uh, does that influence any of your decisions as you're thinking about uh, college and uh, where you want to head off to? 
Yeah, I have an interesting story around that. So I decided I wanted to, I went and I visited the United States Military Academy at West Point and fell in love with it. Mm. Um, I said, this is, this is where I'm going to be. I'm going to be an Army officer for the rest of my life. Um, this is exactly what I want to do. And I'm not sure if you've ever visited the campus, but it is something exceptional. Mm-hmm. It, it, truly, uh, I mean, I have chills just, just thinking about it. Sucks but you in, doesn't it? It does. It does. <laughs> So I went to, I was accepted to the Preparatory Academy, and I went to New Mexico Military Institute. Whenever I went there, I actually had some seizures. And you cannot be having seizures on the battlefield. Right. That, that's not a good thing. So uh, that didn't work, and I had to come home. How long were you there? Uh, probably 15, 20 days. I forget okay. the exact amount. Uh-huh. But, um, and so what I decided to do was I came back. I went to Penn State. I um, started at a branch campus at Penn State. And I said, I'm going to take that same level of tenacity and apply it that I would have had to do at West Point to even get through, Mm -hmm. not even be successful, but get through. And I'm going to apply that to Penn State. So I went and I graduated in two and a half years. I loaded up on credits. I worked nonstop on school things. And I graduated two and a half years. And what did you get your degree in? Business management. Okay. And was that where you said, look, I'm going to I'm going to go pursue uh, things in the corporate world. Did you have an idea of what you uh, wanted to pursue with that degree? I was a straight corporate guy. I was going to be, you know, try to be an executive in a large corporation. And and that's what I decided to do. So politics was really on the back burner at that point in time and um, didn't think much about it, didn't talk much about it. And I said, hey, I'm going to be a business guy. And and go out and, and impact the world in that way. And so where do you where do you end up? Uh, what's your first job uh, out of Penn State? So my first job was at ADP, Automatic Data Processing. And, and I had one of the, I, I to this day, I believe this was the toughest job that anybody can have. Uh-huh. And I was selling payroll to companies with one to five employees. <laughs> so you're walking and in. cold calling? Cold t- calling. Okay, all right. Cold knocking. Yes, so right, right. right where Leaf and Bean, they probably have, I don't know, three four or five employees, maybe even more than that. So I was going to very tiny, small pizza shops and telling, trying to convince them, hey, let us do your payroll for you. They looked at you like you had six heads, right, not three right. heads, but six heads. Uh, it, was a, it was a tough one. And I think if you could make it in that, so I did make it. Um, I lasted and, and advanced through the organization, took a couple leadership roles. I uh, was there for I'm not sure. Six, seven years. And where is this located? Where were in you Pittsburgh. working? In Pittsburgh. Yep. I had several so different coming territories. Coming down to Pittsburgh from uh, uh, from the Newcastle area. Newcastle. Okay. Yep. Still, mm-hmm. uh, at first I lived in my parents' basement. Okay. So uh, saved money and I did all those things, and then uh, I, I purchased uh, my first house in Cranberry Township after I realized that I could make the mortgage payment and I was going to make it in sales. And then I left, uh, took a risk. My wife and I we got engaged, and uh, she has a good job pretty good job. She's a nuclear engineer at Westinghouse. So uh, she's a little bit smart, as you could imagine. And said, okay, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to go to a startup company and with a way less salary and, you know, but significant upside. Was this an entrepreneurial bent to you? Uh, Because ADP, of course, is a big uh, corporation going to a small startup where uh, you kind of sink or swim. um, That's a bit of an entrepreneurial endeavor there. Well, you sink or swim and the sink means that you don't get a paycheck and you're not sure how you pay your mortgage. That's how much the sink or swim is. Yeah. And what I found was it was really interesting and I learned a ton from that experience. Mm. Grew the company from, I think it was 20 some thousand in revenue to almost three quarters of a million dollars in nice. 20 months. Okay. Uh, left, took a buyout, uh, left. That was my job was to get it up and going. 
uh, completely restructured everything they were doing. They had a 26-year-old telling them everything that wasn't working right. And, you know, I knew everything and they at listened that point. To you, well, uh, they, they, they didn't have much of a choice. <laughs> I was the only guy there. So uh, grew that. And then I went back to ADP in a national accounts role where I worked with very large organizations on all their HR needs, everything human capital management. So I worked with companies like 84 Lumber, uh, Consol Energy, U.S. Steel, to solve some of the very complex people problems they mm -hmm. have. And every problem that companies have is really a people issue. Um, and understanding that their greatest asset is people, just like I think it, it is today. So uh, as you're doing this, are you paying attention to politics much? I mean, or that kind of your focus uh, in the work world uh, was uh, right there, not uh, what's happening at the state or national level? Or, or are you still kind of you know, looking at uh, what's going on uh, with uh, politicians and uh, Harrisburg, Washington, all that. It, not so much in okay. Harrisburg because what's on the news yeah. is, is is national level. And what I what I started to see was um, when I was there. Number one, I didn't have any time to do anything other than work, and uh -huh. I you know I'd work twenty hours a day between that and going back for my MBA that I did part time here at Pitt. Okay. So I went and I did that. And then my, my wife and I, about five-ish years ago now, five or, uh, yeah, we've been married a little over six, so about five years ago, we purchased a farm, and, which wasn't a farm, by the way. It was completely overgrown in garbage land in New Galilee, Pennsylvania. Okay. And how, how many acres uh, of a farm? 106 acres. So a sizable uh, plot of land. A, a decent amount. Yeah. Uh, with, the, with the simple fact of it was complete. We could have never afforded anything that was good. Okay. That's for sure. It was overgrown <laughs> with weeds. It was garbage. Uh, there were literally tires all over the place. It was completely overgrown. We purchased that and said, okay, now we're going to, um, the house that we lived in now uh, was rented out. We said, okay, we'll continue to let the, it was an older woman, we'll continue to let the older woman live there, and we'll move there whenever we want to, right? Uh, well, she got ill, so we said, okay, we're going to move in, and we redid the house in about six weeks, um, completely gutted it and redid it, and moved out there, and I started to look around, and I said, geez, some of the progress that was happening in, in, in Pittsburgh that I'm seeing, the progress that was happening in... Uh, Cranberry Township is not happening here at home. I said, well, very simply, I'm, I'm probably, I'm going to look at running for council. And my borough might have 500 people in it uh -huh. max, right? So the 130 people vote. I mean, yeah, that's how small we're talking. So I said, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go to a meeting and see and maybe <laughs> run for council. And I go and I'm talking to these guys and I said, geez, they're doing an exceptional job. There's no reason to run for something if somebody's doing a good job. Let's let good people do good work. And I started to look and I said, I'm concerned that we're not being represented in Harrisburg very well uh -huh. with some of the issues that I'm seeing. And that's when I started to come into my head that I was interested in potentially running for state representative. So you're, you're working at ADP. You decide uh, you want to uh, buy and start running a farm. Uh, and you noted that uh, earlier you, you didn't grow up on a farm. I mean, right. did you have any idea what you were getting into when it came to farming? Well, everything that you need to know in life, I'm convinced, not just in farming, but in life, you can find out from Google and YouTube. <laughs> uh, everything that we've ever broken, which is about once a day, 
Um, in fact, I got a text message as I was sitting here that another thing broke on the farm. Uh, you can find on YouTube and, and figure it all out. But it's, has that uh, been an endeavor that has um, everything you expected? Or, my goodness, this is a lot of work. Because I know farmers uh, from folks in my church, it is a lot of work to run a farm. And I know, what, you've got cattle, uh, you've got hogs, what, what, uh, you've got other th- uh, farm animals yeah. that require uh, 24-7 attention, don't they? Yeah, we have beef cattle, hogs, chickens, lamb, and then we also raise and train Great Pyrenees dogs that protect livestock, and they're really throughout the country now. Wow. Um, So we'll train them and make sure that they're ready to go out to their owners to protect from wolves or uh, or coyotes. So you you say, I've got so much time on my hands. Uh, Why don't I run for state representative? Uh, and go to Harrisburg a bunch of times during uh, the year. Where, where did that come? I mean, and, and talk, walk me through how you decided, I'm going to run against a, a Democrat. Uh, I think it's been held by Democrats, that uh, state house seat, uh, for quite some time. What, uh, what, where did this, as you were saying, how did it develop? And how did you actually finally jump in and say, I'm going for this? Well, I'll give you one more thing to add to it. At that point in time, we just found out my wife was pregnant with our little boy. <laughs> so All right. you, you add that in there, and, and it just adds one more thing to it. And so, you know, what I said was, um, why not? And, you know, the, we have our plate's completely full. It's not full. It's overflowing. Yeah. Um, what's one more thing? It, it doesn't really matter. So I started to look at it. Um, I had some meetings with some people and sat down with them, and it said, hey, um, and I viewed it in a I think you had to have a couple factors to make sure that I would run. And number one was, could I win? Because mm-hmm. if you can't win, there's no use in doing anything. Um, number two was, is it good for my family? Um, and number three, can I be effective in the job? Mm-hmm. And if all three of those things, it wasn't one, two, three, but if all three of those things couldn't happen, what's the purpose and why would I even do something right. like this? I was doing very, very well in my professional career. Um, I realized it would be a significant pay cut. It was. Making and lots of money uh, farming, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, Matt's <laughs> I super I see that tongue easy. in cheek, right? Yeah, it's super easy to be become a millionaire when you're a farmer. It's mm-hmm. not hard at all. Is all you have to do is start out a billionaire, and you can be a millionaire within a couple <laughs> years. So, um, you know, I decided, I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to, let's take a look at this thing. And I talked to some people, and um, I looked at the, you know, and the answer was, no, you, you probably can't win. It's a Democrat seat and you don't really have a chance. And, uh, so and someone I, that had been there for, for a while. So yeah. incumbency matters. People know the name. So taking on an incumbent is always a difficult challenge. Who wasn't really that bad on the issues. Um, you know, it wasn't like he was a, a radical in, in sure. either way. And the gentleman's name was Jarrett Gibbons. He's a, he's a good man. I, I see him when I see him, we talk. Yeah, the Democrat socialists would come after him out here in Pittsburgh it, today, for sure. I th- there's no question yeah. about that. No question. And so I said, okay, let's take a look at it. Let's make sure that those things can happen. And uh, my wife was supportive of looking at it. Uh, my father-in-law, who's my biggest fan, by the way, uh, right along with my parents and my mother-in-law, uh, told me I was absolutely crazy and there's no reason to ever do something <laughs> like that. And uh, I don't know if he was just trying to protect his daughter, which very well could have been the case. But uh, so, you know, we had those conversations and started to look at it. And I said, these numbers show me that if I meet enough people I have the opportunity to win. Not that I would win, but there's yeah. an opportunity to win. And what does that agenda look like? What would I want to do? So I, I looked at those things. I laid out an agenda. And I said, okay, we're going to go out and, and let's give this thing a shot. So I ran in the primary. Uh, the party-supported person was, uh, I was told, don't run because it's not your time. And I just don't like that answer yeah. ever. 
and the party supported person um, was not me. It was somebody else. We had a three-way primary, and I just went out and I knocked on doors all day, every day. I actually quit my job, so I quit okay. my corporate job. I left all the income. Uh, we cut every expense in our household that we could. We dropped cable. We still had to have the internet, but we dropped cable. Um, did things like kept the temperature a little bit lower in the winter and a little bit higher in the summer. The little things that you know every family struggles with today. Yeah. And so I did that. I quit my job. I went out. I just knocked on doors. My dad drove me door to door. I love my dad to death, and without him, I wouldn't be here today. Mm. But when you're in the car for eight hours with your dad every day, sometimes it gets a little interesting. And and we won the primary in a very large way. Mm. In, uh, in a three-way primary, we won 75%. The party nominee won 16%, and then another gentleman that ran won 9%. Wow. What do you, and what do you attribute that to? Is that your hustle and knocking on doors, just meeting people and telling them why you're running? Yeah, I talk about more. And when I say more, I use this, and I'll talk about this tonight whenever I teach at Pitt. You don't always have to be the most talented person in the room or the smartest person in the room or the most articulate. But if you just outwork people, people naturally, you're going to get some successful results. And that's what I did. I just knocked on doors all day, every day. Probably wasn't as articulate as the other two, um, but I am what I am. Um, as you see now, I wear my cowboy boots, my belt buckle, and, and a rolled-up uh, a rolled up uh, button-down shirt. That's what I wear pretty much every day in, in, in blue jeans. And we just knocked on every door, and we let people know that we were, we cared about what they cared about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true to this day. So you win the primary, and uh, you know you've got a tough election battle ahead against an incumbent. Uh, how did you then a- approach uh, the general election in November uh, 2016? In the exact same way that I did the primary. I said, I want to go out and understand what matters to people and in the primary I was only talking to Republican voters and I'm thinking well the Democrat voters care about very different things and I'm out and guess what Matt they didn't care about any different things (laughs) they cared about making sure their kids had a good school they cared about making sure they could pay their bills Uh, they cared about making sure that uh, people were successful right here in Western Pennsylvania and uh, that's it was no different and and knocking on a Democrat door or knocking on a Republican door we talk about things that matter to them. Well, and so uh, the election returns come in. Uh, you ended up winning, I think, fairly handily, didn't you? What was the, what was the final count? We were fortunate. We won by 16.9%. Which uh, was, I think, shocked a lot of people that were paying attention for an incumbent to lose uh, by that kind of a margin. Uh, now, of course, it was the Trump uh, uh, dynamic out in Western PA, uh, but we also saw lots of Democrats uh, survive. Um, some of those challenges. So uh, you end up coming to Harrisburg. Tell me, uh, is it what you expected? Uh, what has been, you know, pleasant surprises? And, and what are your, you know, biggest frustrations? Here you are coming up on, you know, your two-year anniversary of getting elected. And then we'll talk about your re-election, which is also interesting, and some sure. of the issues. But uh, what's been the biggest surprise and biggest disappointment and frustration in this? Well, I'll tell you, the biggest surprise for me is, um, and this is why I think this is such a great forum, that when, when you talk to people, and I know you talk to far-left Democrats, far-right Republicans, yeah. and everybody in between, and that is, for the most part, there's 203 members in the House, 50 in the Senate, and nearly all of them really care about the people they represent. They want to do the right thing. We just have a different way that 
that we believe that we should get there. Did that break? I mean, was your thinking as, ah, there's a bunch of bad people in Harrisburg. I, I'm going to be the, the good guy going in and, and you know, rescuing our state. Uh, did, was that uh, breaking your narrative in your head? It was. And one of the interesting things that I found was, you know, when you're going in, all lobbyists are bad, right? That's in your mentality. <laughs> right? uh, all these interest groups are bad people. Uh, nearly everybody there is looking out for themselves and trying to fill their pockets and those types of things. And the truth is, it's not really accurate. Um, now, there are those that are there, sure. right? And, and you know them and sure. I know them. Without mentioning them by name, you know them and I know them. Um, but for the most part, people are good people. The overwhelming people. majority Overwhelming people. Yeah. majority. There just might be disagreements of how we get to where we want to get, right? Yeah. Um, and it will be interesting to see if some of these tensions that we're seeing uh, boil up, um, how that uh, impacts things at the state level, because you know it's pretty hot and heavy at the federal level. Right. Um, and the divisions, the tribalism. And I'm, I'm interested in, are you seeing that at the state level? Do you think that uh, kind of the, the vitriol we're seeing um, at the national level is happening at the state level in, in the state house of representatives. Yeah, one of the things I think is different that a lot of people don't understand, and you understand that working and being in Harrisburg, is that people that are elected in office have the same issue that everybody else has. Um, you know, they, they, they their wife gets mad at them that they didn't take the trash out. Uh, <laughs> they're very upset when their kid is sick. Um, you know, we have the same issues. Yeah. There's really no difference. And, one of the th- and I just don't know this because I'm not at the federal level, is does the rhetoric, what does that really look like behind closed doors? And are people actually still working together and trying to figure out things out? One of the things that a lot of people don't understand, and I didn't understand this either, when you go there, 90-some percent of the bills that you vote on are really bipartisan in nature and passed unanimously or mm. nearly unanimously. Mm-hmm. So that happens all the time. And that's a positive, and that's a good thing. Now, some of the rhetoric that exists still on social media, Twitter, attacking Republicans, attacking Democrats, even from people in the state, um, that is not necessarily what happens behind closed doors. And, you know, I, I've tried not to attack the other party in, in really any way. Um, one of the, and a good example of that is I give you an example, Governor Wolf. Ideologically, on issues that people call partisan, I don't think Governor Wolf and I could be more opposite. Uh-huh. That being said, I think Governor Wolf is a great man. His wife is a fantastic woman. Um, we have a very cordial and, and good relationship when I've spent some time with him over at the governor's mansion. And there's a whole lot of things we agree on. And if we disagree on 10% of things, let's figure out the other 90 and then let's talk about the 10. Yeah, and that's where, uh, I mean, you are known for being pretty outspoken and passionate about the things that, that you do care about. And some would say, ah, oh, he's a hyper-partisan. Uh, but you have worked with Democrats on, on particular issues. And I think that, like you said, 90% of the things that happen bipartisan, we don't focus on. Uh, but there are some areas of severe disagreement, I mean, on taxes and uh, on, you know, some of the special interest privileges that are out there. Um, but how have you kind of reached across the aisle and where have you worked uh, with Democrats uh, to bridge that, that partisan divide? I'll give you a couple real quick examples. Number one is Pam Snyder, um, who is a good, very good friend of mine. She's a Democrat from not too far from here. And Pam and I uh, worked on a bill that protected people that had municipal electric monopolies where they didn't have supplier choice and make sure that we had some additional consumer protections in place. Uh, She's a Democrat, 
and, and I'm a Republican, and to me, making sure that people are protected has nothing to do with you if you're Republican or Democrat. Ryan Bazzaro and I became good friends. Uh, I text back and forth with from him. From the Erie area. Yeah, from yeah. Democrat from the Erie area. And I give you two really interesting ones that are in my freshman class. Two Democrats that are from the Philadelphia area that a lot of people would say are far left, and that's Jared Solomon and Chris Rabb. And those are guys that I like a lot. We're friends. Uh, on the big issues that people talk as partisan, they say that, hey, you may not be in line with them and you're polar opposites. The truth is, I think both Chris and Jared care a lot about their communities and, once again, just see a different way to get there. Jared and I are right now are, are talking. I was just talking with him yesterday on some things that would repeal all the regulations on schools, um, these standardized testing, which I absolutely hate, uh -huh. and, and those types of things that will just be beneficial for people in Pennsylvania. That's not a Republican or Democrat issue. These are issues that just regular people care about. So uh, you are up for re-election, and uh, tell me about how you are running now as a Democrat uh, on the ticket. Of course, as a Republican as well. Uh, an interesting thing that I wasn't aware you were up to until I saw the election returns that uh, Aaron Bernstein won the Democratic nomination uh, last spring. Uh, what happened there? So an interesting thing, um, there's a gentleman that decided to run as a Democrat. Uh, he didn't complete his paperwork correctly, so he was removed from the ballot by the Department of State. And we decided to run a write-in campaign. Now, we're the only Republican on our side. Okay. And so we you were unopposed in the Unopposed primary, as a Republican. Uh -huh. And on the Democrat side, we decided to ask people to write our name in, as did he, um, to receive both a Republican and Democrat nomination. And we received about 50, we were fortunate enough to receive about 55% of the vote of the Democrats uh, wrote our name in. We're how, how many people, yeah, how many uh, uh, signatures? I mean, because that's not an easy task. Uh, it, it's not. Uh, it's not. And I, I, I don't know the exact number. I'd but have it was to look hundreds, at the right? results. I mean, you, oh, you, yeah, you got hundreds six, seven, of write-ins. Okay. Yep. And, and what I found was interesting was very simply this. We went out, we asked people, if you believe in what we're doing and you care about job growth and you care about keeping your taxes low and protecting your Second Amendment rights, which a lot of our Democrats do, this is what Aaron has done. This is, And then we said, hey, please write me in. And, and they did so. And we have a, our full political operation was out and asking people at the polls to write us in. And I tell you, I give a lot of credit to my wife who runs sort of the campaign side of things and and make sure that people are all in the right places doing the right things. And you don't want anybody else in an engineer doing that, Matt. <laughs> so uh, um, what happens if on November 6th, Aaron Bernstein, the Democrat, beats Aaron Bernstein, the Republican, on the ballot? Uh, do you then go caucus uh, with the uh, House Democrats? Well, my friends, have all, <laughs> my friends on both sides of the aisle in Harrisburg have all teased me about that. So uh, some of the Democrats tell me they love me, but, but the Republicans can keep me. And some of the Republicans, I think, are saying, hey, we love you, but if you want to go over there, go ahead. So, um, no, it's, uh, you know, we'll, obviously we'll still caucus with the Republicans, but uh, what a— you know, it was an honor for me, it was a privilege for me to understand that people here in the 10th District care more about what you do and what you're about than what a letter is next to your name. Now, you're, as we part here, you're going to be uh, headed to class uh, to teach students at Pitt. Uh, you've been doing this for a couple of years. Uh, why, why do you like doing that? Why, I mean, it sounds like you got your plate full. Young kid at home, trying to run a farm. Uh, 
hustling to Harrisburg uh, every so often. Um, what what keeps you coming back to the classroom? It's a real Matt. It's a real passion of mine, and the reason why is if. And I'll show you, I can show you later a text message that I got from somebody. And he met somebody in an, in an airplane. And the person was an executive at a company. And he goes, and I use the skills that you taught me in class to network. And now I have an interview with somebody in that company. Ah. And to me, uh, if we can help somebody get That'll a job. keep you coming back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are the types of things where you say you just can't give it up. And I love it. Um, I love our kids. Uh, that we have at Pitt, they're, they're top notch, and you know, so many times we hear the kids these days, and uh, I'm sure my parents said it, and now my generation says it about other kids. But the truth is, uh, the, when you go and you come into my classroom, and you talk to these students, the future is bright for not only the United States of America but Pennsylvania as well. Well, so we only have a few days uh, of session before the election. Um, probably not a whole lot uh, of big heavy lifting will get done. Um, what are you looking forward to? What policy issues do you want to see uh, happen under whether it's a uh, Wolf second term or a Wagner uh, first term? What are those issues that uh, are going to be driving you? Well, one of the things that's really important to me, and I'm hopeful that as soon as we go back that we're going to vote on this, this is a big deal for me. And I understand that reasonable people on both sides of the aisle think differently. But I am a strong proponent of reducing the size of the legislature. Um, we need to reduce the size of government, reduce the role of government. And I think philosophically that's very important to do. What other uh, policy issues are you uh, interested in seeing happen? I well, mean, what, what, as you were talking about early on, uh, talking about uh, the lack of economic uh, development and growth uh, in your community, what are those things that need to be addressed in Harrisburg that will uh, spur that or allow for uh, a more rural areas like yours to prosper? Well, we've already started to lay out our legislative agenda for next session because, as you talked about, not much time to get things done the rest of this session. And as we talk about next session, we're going to do a couple different things. We're going to focus a lot on transparency. And a good friend of mine, Jim Christiana, who is uh, retiring at the end of this session. I say retiring. I think he's like 33, by the way. <laughs> um, but a good friend of mine, he did a pen watch. And we're going to look at a pen watch 2.0, which adds even more transparency to Pennsylvania government. The state-related universities, Penn State, Pitt, and Temple, they need to be subject to right to know. And that's very important to me from a transparency, knowing where every single dollar of taxpayer money is spent. The other thing that we're going to look at, um, which I think is, is, is also just as important, is the local issues. And this is what we've continued to do is focus on local issues in Beaver, Butler and Lawrence County and make sure that money that's in Harrisburg doesn't continue to flow into just Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. These rural areas where I'm at have for far too long been taken advantage of, and we're going to do everything we can do to make sure that we, for lack of a better term, bring home the bacon to Western PA. Well, uh, apropos, given your uh, hog uh, uh, herd, is that what you call them in farming? <laughs> we call them uh, as long as you stay out of the mud there because you don't want to fall on that. <laughs> well, Aaron, thanks for coming on Bruising Views with me. It's been a pleasure to get to know you better and appreciate the, the work you're doing in Harrisburg and, and, and with the kids at Pitt. So have a great class tonight. Thanks, Matt, and thanks for the invitation. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette 
at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E.